proudly show it. Now add our cricket just for luck. And even you can't blow it. Oh, the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me There's I no sign of intelligent life anywhere Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney I'm Chris Bowersox And I'm Kyle Skinner And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic Generate a bracket and debate our way through the madness To figure out who or what is truly the best Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle. Chris, welcome to my home, Chris. You're the first time <laughs> we're recording here at the uh, Mouse Madness Studios West Oakland. Uh, we're, we're out here. We're doing it live. Uh, we're in my living room. If you're watching this on Jerry's Gang, you yeah. can see that I have the Christmas tree up behind Chris. I've got like these little dangly Christmas tree things behind me. Um, it's, we're ready. Gifts are gifts are starting to come in. We have a special special gift coming in on episode two of this bracket. But uh, the holiday spirit is consuming me. Yeah, um, we, we kind of kicked off all of our holiday season uh, conversations with the Jerry's Gang episode, exclusive Jerry's Gang episode where we drafted our Thanksgiving tables. Yeah, which was a super fun episode. Always fun to talk about like people dynamics during right. the holiday season. And, and, you know, we chatted about Frozen, of course, the last couple of weeks. Uh, always a good holiday time. A- like any time from like October 1st to like February 1st sure. is like Frozen. Maybe even you can maybe even get some Valentine's Day action on Frozen stuff. Yeah, if you want to. Um, it's it's great for, for our fall and winter time. Um, but I'm ready to dive into this bracket. We are talking best on-screen gift now we did a best on-screen food yep was that earlier this year no i think it was last thanksgiving so thanksgiving of 2020 was our best on-screen food Dearsay helped us with that one. She did, yeah. It feels like yesterday. Like all of the, you know, once you hit like 50, all, <laughs> they're all the same after that. Anyways, uh, so this is going to be kind of like that, where we take uh, some, some type of gift that was given or received in a Disney movie at some point on screen, and we're going to break those down in the same way we broke down all of that food. And to help us, we had to, uh, we had to track down one of our resident Disney experts, it's Marissa. Marissa, welcome back to Mouse Madness. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Totally. We know that you're a huge Disney fan, obviously. You've been on the show multiple times. We need to get you one of those green jackets as returning host of, of, of the show. But you've been an AP. More recently, you're a Magic Key holder. So you've been, you've been to the parks around the world. You've been able to enjoy that. That is that gift of just seeing all of, all of the parks. But I got to know, you're on the best Disney gift, on-screen gift bracket. What is the best Disney gift you've ever received? I thought about this because I knew you were probably going to ask me something <laughs> of this nature. Um, so recently, I just went to Walt Disney World with my friend Haley. And we decided to just meet up in Houston. She's from and lives in Houston. So I flew there and then we met up in flew to Orlando. Okay. And if anyone follows me on Instagram, it was a mess trying to get there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And 
it, I was probably flying all day, but she surprised me. Um, I'm not wearing it tonight. It's packed away in one of my boxes and I have to unpack because I moved, but um, she bought me a little baby Yoda holding the balloon, you know, that outline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's holding the balloon. He's at the parks, but it's like in the corner and just the basic crew hoodie. And she like whipped it out of nowhere when we were sitting at the bar. She's like, I got this for you. <laughs> and I was like, this was probably the best thing that could ever happen. And I used it as a pillow in the oh. airport. I just knocked out. In your treacherous trip from to and from Walt Disney World. Well, that's a pretty good gift. Anything Baby Yoda is going to be a good gift. So that's that's a great call. I uh, I will expose what our favorite gifts were, Chris, but it's going to be on Jerry's gang. That's going to be episode two of uh, December's Jerry Gang's exclusive podcast episode. So go to patreon.com slash mouse madness and you'll hear exactly what Chris's and I's favorite gifts, Disney related gifts were um, later this month. Um, Kyle, uh, it's, it's your turn to host. Yep. Just like you said, we got, we got the temporary stew set up in your <laughs> living room. And with that responsibility comes spoonful of sugar responsibility. So yeah, you, totally. you were in the kitchen whipping up a little cocktail and we're sharing one here. What do we, what do we got here? Yeah. So I've done this on the show before and I can't remember when I've done it, but this drink is called the hibiscus rum punch and it's from Smuggler Cove. Uh, tiki bar here in san francisco i have their book that's where i get most of my rum drink cocktails from whenever i do them on the show and this is two ounces of lime juice uh this makes two two drinks by the way so two ounces of lime juice an ounce of demerara sugar uh two ounces split between two glasses of seltzer water three ounces of rum and you put everything except for the oh and then of course two ounces of hibiscus liqueur. Mm. So you put everything except for the seltzer into a shaker. You shake it up. Seltzer goes into your drinking vessel. You pour the shake into the seltzer water and you get yourself a hibiscus sweet rum drink. I made mine. I made ours. A little too sweet for my taste, but I think that it, you... Yeah, it's fine by me. I mean, you don't have to convince me if something's a little sweet, a little sour. <laughs> That's right up my alley. I mean... You know, this is just a great break from all of those episodes of me going to CVS and basically just pouring <laughs> like a juice or a soda in with a random hard alcohol. Right, right. Um, it's great. I love it. Uh, 10 out of 10 for me. Thank great you. bartending work, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you, you know, you, Kyle was a bartender at summer camp for two years, I, three years? Yeah, one year because okay. I was too young to do it my first summer. Well, um, and that's where I really, that's where I planted my roots. Yep. So it's, it's grown. I've come a long way since I was making 7-Elevens and, and all that goodness. But uh, Marissa, what do you have over on your side? Marissa turned into a dog. And Marissa. Anywho. Um, no. <laughs> TJ's thirsty. Yep. Stop. Or you're going to get big cool. Okay. Anyway, um, I went on the internet as everyone will probably do for a nice drink. Sure. I didn't have time to go to the grocery store, so I kind of just used whatever I had in my house. But what I ended up finding is a, basically it's a red wine, hot chocolate. Yeah. What? What you can do is I took a like saucepan, poured wine in it, took like white chocolate, hot chocolate chips, 
and cocoa powder. And then I mix it all together, it all melts, and it's a red, white hot chocolate. And the verdict is? It's actually very good. Oh, I thought it was going to be horrible, but I made another one for later. So. <laughs> and it's so very good. It's like a... It's like a quick and easy mold wine, thing, right? Sort right. of, and and I just want to point out, you are drinking it out of a Dale mug. I am. I have Chip over there. Is is Chip waiting in the wings to Chip, be part of the Chip's next? Chip's already one? drunk. <laughs> yeah. He's he's over there. The but yes, I just got these recently from uh, Shop Disney. Yeah, no, it's the it's got the pie. What do they call pie crust eyes? Pie, pie eye. Pie yeah. eye. Yeah, it's a great mug. Pizza pie eyeballs. Yeah, it's like classic, kind of new, kind of yeah. old looking. I like it. All right, everybody. It is time, and it is a special time. <laughs> After a two-episode hiatus, the pull of the pod is back and better than ever because we are going to pull two packs this episode and two packs the next, which depletes our entire selection of Disneyland 50th anniversary tops cards. And if Tom Morrow isn't in one of these four packs, this will have been the biggest April Fool's joke <laughs> Disney could have played on us. So without further ado, I will open up this first pack. This this is we're doubling up to make up for the last two episodes where we missed pull of the pod. All right. First card. Of this pack is 1956's Indian Village. Okay. Okay. Native American Village. Yep. So this was in Frontierland over kind of where um, Critter Country is now, I believe. And uh, read about it. <laughs> it's long gone. <laughs> boy, oh boy. No, no. 1998's Innoventions. No. No! With Mr. No! Tom Morrow on it! Let's go! Boy! Oh my god. All it took was the power of getting us together in the same room where these packs have lived for so long. I cannot believe we just found Mr. Tom Morrow, ladies and gentlemen. Jerry's gang, I know I didn't really show it. So here's what this wacky guy looks like. This is why we've wanted him. No oh way. My. So on the back, here's, here's what we've been waiting for. Tom Morrow, previously a flight to the moon fame, is the host of the five themed areas of this attraction. Transportation, health and sports, home, home work, and school and entertainment. Highlighting the latest in technologies and products, this attraction is a two-story hands-on exhibit. Chris, congratulations. We have found Mr. Tom Morrow. I, I, like, I'm, sh I'm shaking. My hands are shaking <laughs> holding this card because, because, wow. Like, it was there the whole time. The whole time. And we've been doing this for, like, almost six months. I and uh, I, I feel like we got to send this to, like, those people that grade the cards. Right, and, right. <laughs> this is like a 10 mint condition Tom Morrow. <laughs> or, or we need to do like one of those 
kids from YouTube that like makes a necklace out of it right. and like wear it to the parks. Yeah, this is this is this is our holy grail. Uh, we've right done here. It. We I, got him. I, I was so. Oh my god. I cannot believe it. I can't believe it. So, like, what do we do? Do we keep opening the rest? And... Yeah, we can fly through the rest, okay. I guess. Let's go ahead and save yeah. that one there. I'll fly through the rest. The next one is a uh, Five Lands card. It's Fantasy Land, and it's a photo of uh, Small World, which I always appreciate. I love me a f- Small World facade. Next one up is the Haunted Mansion, one of those die-cut cards. Set to the Night of Music, it's called, and it's of the organ player down in the ballroom. Nice. Black Captain and white Nemo's photo. Mo- Captain Nemo's organ. And I really like that. And then our final card, uh, which is not Tom Morrow because we already found him, is a uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which I said correctly this time. And it is the uh, attraction poster, which is arguably like top tier poster. Like these ones are very, very detailed and very cool. Um, So that's one of them. Let's go ahead and fly through the second pack since we have time because we've probably already gotten all of these. All right. First one, 1983's Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Definitely got that one. Uh, next one up is Tomorrowland as a five lands card with the Tomorrowland side. We might have also gotten that one. Next up is Toontown City Hall with Mayor and Mickey. We definitely got that one because we talked all about whether or not Mickey was elected or if that's a dictatorship. <laughs> Finally, is the Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules, which is a card that just won't go away. And then, oh, here's a really good card. Uh, the attraction poster is American Journeys from Tomorrowland and Disneyland, which is the Circle Rama show that was around in 1955. Nope, that's a lie. 1984. So, doesn't matter. I don't care because we got tomorrow and that's all we needed. Tommy T, Tommy T. So, bonus bonus two or three packs that will open up next time. Two packs that will open up next time. Rapid fire. We did it. That's it. I hope it was worth the wait for everybody to finally get tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we didn't blow out the speakers as we saw. I mean, I'm glad you got the honors as well because sure. you've been reading these off for so long. And... Sure. That would have been something if you were the one to pull that. Well, um, cool. Thank you to everyone for bearing with us while we went on this pack opening adventure. Uh, yep. I don't think we expected it to take this long, but um, <laughs> we did it. We did it, fam. Um, all right. So, so before we get into our field of 16, uh, best Disney on-screen gifts, Kyle, uh, we had a demographic we needed to survey to get our, our field of 16. Yeah. So, uh, Encanto just came out the week of Thanksgiving and I don't know what any of your holiday traditions are or your Marissa's, but oftentimes families will go see a movie the day after a holiday. Um, it can often be Christmas Day. Folks do it. Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving is a Friday that most people have off. So folks will go to the movies. So we sent the interns out to their local theaters because we didn't want to send them to the park during Thanksgiving week, right? So we sent them <laughs> to their local movie theaters instead. And they asked folks who were standing in line the day after Thanksgiving to go catch Disney's newest animated feature. Chris, I know you've seen it. I'm gearing up to go yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. That's going to be over on Jerry's gang if you want to hear our, our responses. But this is a great demographic to ask about on-screen gifts because gift giving in Disney spans across many generations of film. Right. Many different mediums, whether it's the live action, the animation, Pixar. So to have these families chime in, it just felt right. And so these folks gave us 16 great on-screen gifts that we're really excited to talk about. 
but there are a few that miss the dance. So Chris, what are a couple for you? One of the uh, first ones, a Marvel one. It's from Iron Man. I think it's Iron Man one. Might be Iron Man two. Uh, Pepper Potts gives Tony a birthday present. It's like the original arc reactor that says proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Right. That is a great moment in Iron Man, I think. Sure. Uh, like especially developing their relationship and uh, kind of like making Tony question his own uh, humanity. Yeah. Also, uh, the telescope that Flick gives Dot. That's a great one. In uh, Bug's Life before he goes off on his adventure. I just, I, I like a good gift that sort of um, is representative of the giver, but helps the receiver also in some way. Yep. So like that is going to be something I'm going to be looking at as we talk about all of these. So what are a couple of missed dance for you? I, I have two that come in one film. Oh boy. It is Pongo and Perdita. Of course it is. From the film Cruella. Of course. Turns out the way that Roger and Anita got Pongo and Perdita is that Cruella, after having going on this self-finding journey that we see her go on in the live-action film Cruella, sends Anita and Roger two of the Dalmatians that she has. And that's where we pick up, basically. I mean, years later, right? When they're grown full, full adult dogs. But that's how Roger and Anita came to have Pongo and Perdita. And these dogs become their best friends. And, you know, they, they live alone with them. They meet each other because of them. They're very important gifts in the story that is Anita and Roger. So, so I, uh, I think that's a great gift. Marissa, what is a Miss the Dance for you? I have two. Um, the lantern that Flynn Rider gives Rapunzel when they're in the boat. Mm. So nice. that they can participate in the lantern ceremony for the prin- for the long lost princess. Yeah. And also Grandma Tala gives Moana her necklace to hold the heart to feed in there. It's technically not a gift, but I still think that she gives it to her. Yeah. yeah. I. I'll, I'll count it as a gift. There's yeah, a there's yeah. a couple on here that qualify as ah was it was it a gift? I mean, or... it doesn't have to be like in wrapping paper. No, of on someone's not. birthday to be like considered a gift. Like no, anything that is bequeathed upon another. <laughs> if, there's, if there's a bequeathing, it's a gift. Sure, sure, sure. All right, everybody, it is time. Let's go ahead and announce the bracket of sixteen best on-screen Disney gifts. Cue the dramatic music. And here we go. Coming in at the one seed from infinity and beyond is Buzz Lightyear. A horse, a horse, Mount Olympus for a horse. Coming in at number two from Hercules, it's Pegasus. Splintering up at the three seed is Boo's Door from Monsters, Inc. A present that looks so good you could eat it. Coming in at number four from Wreck-It Ralph, it's the hero medal that Penelope gives to <laughs> Ralph. Oh, it looks like a cookie. Jamming out and saving the universe at the five seed is the Walkman and Awesome Mix from Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. It's my dog in a box. Coming in <laughs> at number six from Lady and the Tramp, it's Lady. 
Saying goodbye to a best friend at the number seven seed is Luca's train ticket from Luca. She want that. Kate, 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 Kate. Coming in at number eight from Sleeping Beauty is Briar Rose's cake, as well as her dress. Assembled by animals at the nine seed is Cinderella's dress from Cinderella. Shake that ting, Charlie, kinda kinda shake that ting. Coming in at number 10 from the Santa Claus, it's the snow globe. Screaming again at the 11 seed is the whistle from Miracle. At number 12, we've got gifts a la mode. Edna mode, that is. It's the super suits from The Incredibles. Bringing dad back at the 13 seed is the wizard staff from Onward. Daddy's home. Coming in at number 14 from Mary Poppins, it's the mended kite. Getting grandma across the street blindly at the 15th seed is the lucky cricket from Mulan. Shark bait, hoo-ha-ha. Coming in at number 16, the final seed from Finding Nemo, it's Darla's goldfish. All right, Marissa, any uh, early favorites here from our field of 16? Um, some of my favorites are on the bottom of the 16, so All we'll right. see how it goes. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and hop into it. Do you want the first Shoot. matchup? Uh, yeah, I mean... I'll go for it. Yeah, Why do not? It. Do it. So the first matchup is the number one seed Buzz Lightyear versus number 16 Darla's Goldfish. Yep. So I think everyone knows Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear is about. like a main character in <laughs> Toy Story. Uh, he he is a gift. Yeah. That's kind of how he arrives in the movie. Uh, and he gets him for, for his birthday. Yep. Do we know like what age birthday that is? Feels like seven or eight, something yeah. like that. I was trying to figure that out too. And I think it's probably seven. Okay. That feels right. So all of the toys kind of the first 10, 15 minutes of Toy Story, they establish this, you know, toy world that they live in in Andy's room and yep. it is and it is disrupted by the arrival of the new toy right. that Andy gets for his birthday. Um, and, and... That's such a great like concept, you know, and like mm-hmm. hence why it's so popular, right? And it kicked <laughs> off everything. It was this idea that your toys, not just that like your toys come to life and what do they do when they're gone? It's like let's let's really get to know these toys in a pressure filled situation. Totally, like having their leadership threatened, or you know, <laughs> having someone for, with a different perspective enter the mix. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's 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 a normal movie with just a different skin on it. I don't know if you've ever seen Shane or ever heard of the movie Shane. No. It's like an old western. And then it is a very common western like trope is like the cowboy comes to town and everyone loves the cowboy and the cowboy teaches everyone new things and he saves the day and then he always rides off in the end. But um so it's definitely like not entirely original, but um like I said, what is these days? Right. It's the concept. It's the entire concept of Toy Story. Yeah. Um, that sequence where the army men are kind of like getting into place for Andy's birthday party is like an all-time it's Pixar a, sequence. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily like beautiful. We talked all no. about like beautiful Pixar sequences, but that it, it is so long and so memorable. Yep. And that's kind of like one of those early examples of, of like, whoa, they're really like, they're really taking their time with this. Like this isn't just kind of like a gimmick. No, 
This is a real... It's crafted. Right. This is a real movie here. Buzz Lightyear's going up against Darla's goldfish. And and all we really have is a picture of said goldfish. <laughs> right. Because Nemo takes the place of that goldfish for the next trip, but Darla never really gets Nemo. Right. So so at the beginning of the movie, it's kind of established that this dentist, P. Sherman, goes on these scuba trips and he brings back fish for his niece, daughter? Niece. niece. His niece. Yeah. And she... and. uh so there's a picture of Darla holding up <laughs> a fish, a fish uh, that is clearly dead. She, the fish is belly up. Um, and I think the one of the fish that's in the tank says she, she wouldn't stop shaking the bag. <laughs> and I think the fish, I think the fish is named Chuckles. I think the, yeah. the fish is named Chuckles. Yeah. Chuckles was the goldfish. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so Chuckles is a character <laughs> dead on arrival, but uh, I never, I never knew that it had a name. And then, I mean, like, that's it, you know, like, I guess it is, it is kind of an important like plot point because it ups the stakes of like Nemo needing to get out of there and like Marlon needing to like rescue him because Nemo's fate is clearly going to be probably death. Right. I'm like, based on my criteria that I kind of talked about in Miss the Dance where Mm -hmm. you have like. There, there is a transactional element to like gift giving. Yeah. Neither of these gifts, I feel, feel like, are particularly transactional. I think we get that uh, importance that Buzz means to Woody at various points throughout Toy Story. Sure. But I kind of, I feel like, is a little bit. I feel like that idea takes a little bit of a backseat to like the friendship between like Buzz and Woody, or the mm. dynamic between those two, especially in the first movie, yeah. at least. Um, until you get to the end when like Andy's worried about his missing toys. Right. Um, the dead goldfish is funny. It ups the stakes. But uh, when I think about like a, a great gift, it doesn't feel particularly meaningful yeah. as a gift. Yeah. So I'm going with Buzz Lightyear. Cool. I take kind of the same criteria as you. Like how is this gift impactful? Like, is it a meaningful gift? Is it a gag gift? Is it something that the character who's receiving it is going to really enjoy it? And it sounds like Darla has some sort of obsession with fish that her uncle recognizes. Because if she's already killed one fish and that photo of this dead fish is up on a wall, then she know then the uncle must know that. Darla is a fish lover. Mm -hmm. Just happened to be that she shook this fish this one time and I hope she doesn't do it again if I get her this fish from a reef and not just a goldfish. We've hopefully taught her since then. Kind of turns out that like that's not definitely not the case. Darla is probably going to kill whatever fish she gets. So it's almost an irresponsible gift on P. Sherman's part. If she's known to kill these things that you give her, why would you go snorkeling scuba diving to go get a reef fish to remove it from its environment yeah. to give to your fish killer niece i feel like he's just like justifying his actions it's like oh yeah i like take fish from the reef it's for my niece like i'm trying to do something nice sure 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 it's about yeah i mean it's a great gift for a kid if the kid is going to 
not kill it. Like, did you know that goldfish are like the worst pet you can possibly give someone though? <laughs> no, why? They live for like 20 years and they grow to be like <laughs> 10 pounds. Like, oh my God. If you, if you take right. care of it. The thing is like most people don't take care no. of it or the parents get frustrated and like flush it down the toilet. Totally. But like if you properly care for a goldfish, it will outgrow whatever tank your kid has. Okay. Like it needs well, to be in like a large body of water. Ah, well then P Sherman got his brother or sister off the hook with I guess getting so. Nemo. I don't know. Anyways, but it's definitely Buzz Lightyear. And I think that there's an argument to say that this was the perfect gift for Andy and an important one for him in the shape of who he becomes. And we do see a lot of his attachment to Buzz in the first film based upon his reaction to losing Buzz. Yeah. And that kind of drives a lot of the film is that he lost Buzz and he's bummed about it. So it's definitely Buzz Lightyear for me as well. Uh, Marissa, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I agree with you guys. Um, clearly, Buzz Lightyear is the better pick in this round. Um, I would, I do want to highlight when I rewatch Finding Nemo for this bracket, one of the fishes said... Um, the fish hitched a ride on the porcelain express. <laughs> and I don't know if it was just the kombucha I was drinking that night, but I laughed so hard. I just completely forgot about that line and I just had to bring it up. It's there's a lot from early Pixar that I definitely never caught and then went back and watched and was like, this is a very funny movie. Bugs Life is another one of those. Yeah. There's a lot of those yeah. one lighters that is like, this is a this is a very funny movie. All right, let's talk about this next matchups. The number eight Briar Rose's cake slash her dress versus the number nine Cinderella's dress. Oh, Battle of the Princess dresses Ooh. here. I like this one a lot. So Cinderella is getting ready to go to the ball that she had just been invited to. Uh, she does not know yet that she is about to be uninvited from this ball. But at the time, she's stoked. So she's going to go up and she's going to wear also everybody this is we're talking about the animated movie uh, Cinderella not the uh, live action one in this case. Um so Cinderella goes up to her her attic of a room pulls out her mom's dress. She's like I'm going to wear this thing and in fact I have some drawings of how I can spruce it up to make it way better for this ball. And as she's about to get ready to go to work on this dress here come the stepsisters. Here comes the stepmom screaming for her. So she goes down and all the animals are like, you know what? <laughs> we can do it. And the trap song comes in and everyone gets real high. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> and so, so long sequence, very long sequence of them putting this dress together to, to the We Can Do It song, Cinderella. Uh, there's a great comedic uh, chase scene in the middle between Gus Gus Jocks and the cat, um, whose name is some- Lucifer. Lucifer. I was going to say it's Diablo, but it's definitely Lucifer. Yeah, it's devil. Yeah, devil same thing. related. Yeah, same thing. Um, and she goes to wish upon a star after uh, that night that she will be able to to find true love, go to this ball, and what do you know? It in the dresser in the wardrobe itself is this dress that all of her animal friends have made for her, and it's a, it's a very thoughtful gift. And I think what makes it so great is that her and these animals live a very symbiotic relationship of life. Yeah. Where the mice are protected by Cinderella from 
the chickens from Lucifer. And in turn, they are going to do everything they can to make Cinderella's life a little bit easier. They give her friendship. They give her, uh, obviously, help in the wardrobe sphere. Yeah. Uh, they are a talented group of animals. And she's lucky to have them. It's a very thoughtful gift to get her on her way when, when she had a dress that would have done. And Cinderella even says, ah, I guess this will just have to do. They're like, no, it won't. We're going we're gonna to spruce this thing up. It's up against the uh, the cake and the dress that the the good fairies put together for Briar Rose. So Briar Rose goes off picking boysenberries, whatever the hell she's doing. And she, she, yeah, she's going to hang out with Filthy. Right, right, right. But it's when she's like picking things, right? She it, she stumbles yeah, upon them. Sounds Anyways, right. whatever. She leaves the house, and the fairies are ready to surprise her on her 16th birthday, the day that they're also going to reveal who she actually is and what her destiny actually is. She's going to get herself a cake. She's going to get herself a dress. And it's going to be this very big event for her. So the, we've talked about this sequence over and over again. Yeah, a lot of times. And so I'll, I'll sum it up. The fairies don't know how to bake a cake. <laughs> they don't know how to make a dress. They try very, very hard. And they can't do it without their magic, which they have sworn that they won't use until they tell Briar Rose who she actually is. And Briar Rose is gone, so they use their magic, and that sets off actual Diablo, the bird. Knew there's two devil animals in this matchup. Yeah, here. like old school Disney was like, how do we, how do we make sure that the audience knows know. this is a bad guy? <laughs> Let's name him something after hmm. Satan. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody. Cruella Deville. Lucifer. Diablo. Maleficent. Maleficent. Oh my gosh. Um. So the they get exposed. Briar Rose comes back. She had just met Filthy Phil, which is actually a really fun plot point in this film in which they're all talking about the same person, but none of the parties know they're talking yeah, about the same right, person. Right. So Briar Rose comes back. She's like, I met somebody. And they're like, you can't meet somebody. We have somebody already for you. And she's like, no, but I love him. He picked you like, out when you no. were a baby. Yeah. What are you talking about? He, he shopped for you. You were a baby and he chose you. And uh, so she doesn't even really get to have her, her cake. She storms out or her dress until basically the end in which she does get to have her dress and she's dancing around in it and the fairies are still making it pink or blue as she's doing it, which is a very fun ending to that film as, as well. I like that. Um, so it's a, it's a thoughtful gift from the fairies. It's kind of like a send-off party for her. Like, here you go. You got a new dress. We're going to feed you good and then we're going to send you off to Filthy Phil. And that's how you are going to live the rest of your life. We had so much fun taking care of you for the last 16 years. Uh, but good luck and don't let Maleficent get you. But it all goes nothing, right? And they, it's it's really one of those thought that counts sort right, of gifts. Right. Especially in the cake department. Right. Um, so it feels, these two feel very similar in which it's like the the caregivers, basically, I see the animals very much as like looking out for sure. Cinderella, taking yeah. care of her and her emotional needs. Same with the fairies who are actually caregivers and looking out for Aurora. Yeah. The bigger impact. And then, I mean, Cinderella ends up getting a dress again, right? It's not the dress that she has made by the animals because they gets torn apart. And then fairy godmother makes her one and she wears that to the ball. So they're like very hand in hand similar at the end, they both end up with the dress made for them yes. by their yes. 
the ones that are looking out for them. Um, but I think that I, I, I'm going to go with Briar Rose's dress and cake as the winner here in this matchup because while the animals definitely knew how to make a dress and wanted to do it and they did it, the godmothers didn't quite know how to make any of the things that they did that they wanted to give Aurora, but they still put in the time and effort to give it a shot. And I think that means a lot in gift giving is like the intent behind it. Obviously, the outcome should be great because you want it to be, but it was a, a labor of love for them that they were willing to try and, and make happen. And they did a first round and realized that's not going to be good enough. So they went back and made it actually how they wanted it to be. So that takes a lot of time. takes a lot of love. And I like that. So I'm going with uh, Briar Rose's cake and dress. I think we need to continue the dress in Cinderella a little bit because once the dress sure. is done, she heads downstairs because the whole thing was... The stepmom was like, you can't go to the ball unless, right. because you have nothing to wear. Yeah. And she was like, I'm going to wear my dead mom's dress. <laughs> and so they fix it up and Cinderella goes downstairs and says, yep. you said I needed a dress and I got one. And they're kind of like, what the, yep. how? Right. And then the stepsisters destroy the dress and are like, well, you can't go looking like that. Uh, so the so the gift is destroyed. Yep. And then fairy godmother comes in, and she does, and then she drops the drops the goat dress on her. Yeah, totally. Right. The it's like the Disney money shot is that is the, during bibbity bobbity boo and she's like little pixie dust and yep trans yeah transforms into the and and I I never really noticed that the teasing. She like the fairy godmother like teases Cinderella. Oh, she's right, like, right, right, she's right, like, right. Hmm, what else? What else? And Cinderella's yeah. looking at her like, hello, dress, like dress. dress. She's like, ah, oh, yeah, uh, the dog's gonna be a footman, <laughs> and you know that guy's gonna be the horse. And, right, right. Uh, I never noticed that. I don't know if that was like a product of its time, where like mm. all women loved dresses, and it was like <laughs> you would clearly understand the comedy if you were like a wasp woman in sure sure the 50s when the movie came out yeah and i think i so i think that's kind of what it was getting at like ho 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 all women want dresses nah, right maybe maybe so as that aspect hasn't aged well i hadn't really noticed i hadn't really noticed it though watching it recently i'm going with cinderella i think oh. i think i think the dress itself is more important to the plot of the movie okay uh when we when we break it down at least like I think for the character, like sure. the growth of the character. Sure. Uh, so, so yeah. So Marissa, you're going to break this tie here already. Okay. Um, I don't know if people know this, but I despise Sleeping Beauty. Oh, hot take. Like, wow. I, I don't like anything about the movie. What? I don't like anything about Aurora. What? Just. What's upon a dream? No. Ivan Earl's backgrounds? No. Mary Blair's colors? Mm-mm. Oh, my no. gosh. No. And the pink and blue? Aurora yeah. Sleeping Beauty came after Cinderella, so. Sure. And Cinderella had a pink dress, so the first dress that it was her mother's dress and all that, and then the her friends fix it up, and then the fairy godmother gives her the blue dress, so pink and blue. 
Okay. I'm just saying that. So, okay. <laughs> are, are you are you saying that they like it's like a team Edward team Jacob thing where like you're either team Cinder or team Rory? I don't think so. Um I mean, Cinderella isn't my favorite princess, but I'd pick her over Aurora any day. Oh. But oh. um I just like the concept and the whole story of Cinderella better than Aurora's. So oh. I'm choosing Cinderella's dress. And- <laughs> oh, of course. I like it. Of All course. right. So, so Cinderella moves on to take on Buzz Lightyear in the next round. All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It's number four, Ralph's hero medal versus number 13, Mr. Lightfoot's wizard staff. Yep. All right. So, uh, I guess I guess we'll talk about the wizard staff first. I I did not like Onward. Didn't like it at all. <laughs> really didn't like it just even in the slightest. I got a kick out of the van Guinevere when yep. they were like they like euthanized it kind of and Pretty made and it sent like it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the that was the one highlight from the whole movie for me. Yeah. I had high hopes for it because I like RPG video games. Sure. I like fantasy worlds. I like kind of like medieval dark ages lore. Yeah. I mean, it looked, we, yeah, we talked all about it. It was going to be, it it was one of our first mini reviews, maybe our second one. Yeah. Um, that was the last movie I saw in the theaters before the pandemic. Good times. Good times. Good times. So, um, anyways, the whole movie is about this staff essentially. Yeah. That's like the call to action. Ian is this kid who's not very confident and doesn't have very many friends. And he's, you know, misses his father yeah. who, who passed when he was very young and he only has a few memories of him. So on his birthday, he receives his father's old wizard staff. Right. Cause he turned 16 and the instructions were once him and Barley were both 16, they could be given the staff. And they use this staff to do some spell that's supposed to bring him back. And they botch the spell and he's only half of a person. The whole movie's about them trying to like go on this quest to fix the magic so that they can have a few moments with him again. Correct. Um, and, and basically like this staff... Ian really uses it as like a crutch for like his destiny. It's like my destiny is in this staff and like this is, I feel so powerless as a person, but this staff will give me power because my father, the memory of my father empowers me and like this staff is the memory of my father. So probably the biggest moment uh, in the movie, I think for Ian's development is when they have to go over that big like chasm yep and he uses like a spell on the staff and he's like walking and at some point uh barley had like a safety rope on him and the rope like dropped off and barley was like yeah keep going and so ian kind of like had some confidence there without knowing i guess that the rope had been severed some i don't know sure my memory of onward isn't great but it like the real wizard staff was the memories we made along the way is like essentially the yes. plot of onward. Confidence was inside of him the entire time. He right. didn't need the staff for it. Right. In the memory of his father, he always had it within him. He didn't need to hug his father one more time to like really feel the love 
right. uh, that he has for him. Right. So the 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 staff is important to Ian, and I appreciate that. And I like that it is actually like a birthday gift. You know, like a lot of these gifts kind of feel like randomly given to people. Yeah. So I so I kind of like the like special cere- occasion. It's a very very ceremonious presentation of this uh, this wizard staff. So okay. so even though I really don't like onward. I like the depiction of the gift giving of, of the staff going up against, um, the hero medal from Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> I got to tell you, this scene is why I would call Wreck-It Ralph a good movie. Yeah. Alone. Like it only takes one scene for me a lot of times to make or break a movie. And this scene where, Penelope gives Ralph a like pseudo hero medal is just, it's it's so good. Yeah. So for those of you that maybe don't remember the scene, uh, Wreck-It Ralph is about Ralph wanting to be a hero so that he can win respect within his video game. So he basically, he's a fraud and he steals (laughs) a medal and somehow trying to win it back. And he's using Penelope to win the race so that he can get it or something. He's very fixated on this idea of the hero medal. And so Vanellope, after they go on a few adventures, she makes him a hero medal. Like a little kid would draw you a picture. Win or lose, he's a hero. Right. So, so she hands it to him and it's like a, it looks like one of those freaking bomb cookies that you get yes. from the grocery store that's got that like icing and that like kind of shortbread. Yep. Dude, I love those cookies. <laughs> They're so good. I freaking love those They're cookies. They're so good. My mom, we could pack those in my lunch when I was a kid, and I would like do a lap around the cafeteria <laughs> when I had one of those cookies. I'm like, let's go! Sugar cookie boy! <laughs> and so that's basically what this metal is, and it's shaped like a heart, and then there's like a big like sour belt strip that yep. is like, Talk about best Disney foods. This freaking hero metal Ooh. looks so, so good. Yeah. So good to eat. And it says the front side of the metal says stink brain. Cause that's what she calls him. And the back says, you're my hero. Yep. And like Vanellope is this very kind of like, um, what's the word? Standoffish character. She has a chip on her shoulder. Yeah. Uh, she's very much like, uh, been dealt a tough hand. She's ostracized by the members of her video game. And so she's always kind of on the defensive yep. for good reason. Yeah. And so to she has see a hard her, shell about her. Yeah. And so like to see this moment of vulnerability for her is great for her character. And to see Ralph have to face this fact that maybe the heroism I'm looking for is in the wrong place. Like that is such a great moment, I think. And unfortunately, Ralph kind of like fails that test and he ends up like disregarding the metal and he ends up smashing (laughs) Valpy's car. So sad. And she's like crying and like, dude, that is such a good like back-to-back sequence. Yeah. Getting the metal and then immediately smashing the car right after it. It's just so good. Um, I don't like fraud characters in movies. Like we've talked about that a lot with like people like Aladdin. I like, um, I don't like Onward, but I like Ian and the idea of the staff. I, I just, Vanellope Von Schweetz is like a top three Disney character for me. Okay. And, and I have to go to bat for her in this scene and with this gift presentation. So I'm going with the, the hero medal. 
I'm going to go with the wizard staff. And I'm going to do that because I do like that it was a ceremonious gift, as you brought up. It doesn't always have to be, but I I do like that. And I like that it wasn't something that was just a keepsake. It was literally going to be a gift that kept on giving. And it did in the film. And had they not messed it up, it would have been on its own. It would have been not only the staff that was their father's that they can keep forever, but it would also bring him back for a day and they could make all of these memories in that one day or at least connect with him like they hadn't ever been able to connect with him before. It's that gift that keeps on giving that is a little bit better for me than Ralph's medal. I get that Ralph's medal also is kind of like a gift that keeps on giving because it's Vanellope opening herself up to this friendship, to trust that he immediately destroys 30 seconds later. Uh, but I just like what the wizard staff stood for in its intent and what it ended up being. So I'm going with the staff. Marissa, you're breaking this tie. This is one of the matchups that I was like, oh gosh, like I need to think hard about this because I also feel like I'm one of the very few people who actually liked Onward. So um, I watched um, Wreck-It Roth last night and I watched their hero metal scene on to finish. And I just, I do like the scene and I love the sentiment behind it. What did it for me though, was that he took the actual metal from from the, what is it called? The actual metal from the turtle. Sugar Rush? Sugar Rush Turgum. is the game. But he was wearing the actual metal from his game, like under it. Oh, yeah. So that's what kind of bothered me was that he was like, oh, yeah, like Vanellope's going to give him the sweet, sour metal thing with the cookie and then you're wearing it under and just it kind of felt like he was giving a or he was getting and giving a gift that was like not like meaningful in that moment mm-hmm. to me. So I do like the wizard staff. I do like how they had to actually work for it in order to actually use it and render it up. So I'm going with the wizard staff on this one. All right. Onward it goes onward. Let's talk about this next matchup. It's the number five Peter Quill's Walkman slash awesome mix from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies versus the number 12 Par Family Super Suits from The Incredibles. Might need your help with some of this Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. I know that Peter got the Walkman in that first awesome mix from his mom on her deathbed that he no took no with. So him. he his mom gave him a Walkman and yep. Awesome Mix Volume One yep. at some point when when off screen before before the movie begins. Okay, and so Guardians of the Galaxy starts yeah with Peter, little kid Peter listening to that yep. the Walkman and Volume One. And then he gets called into the hospital room and he says goodbye to his mom and then he runs outside and he's abducted by aliens. Okay. Immediately before he leaves his mom, she gives him a present that he does not open and he does not know what's inside. Got it. And so he's basically running around the galaxy for 30 years listening to Awesome Mix Volume 1 on this Walkman. It's the same one he had that day. Right. Because that's the only thing he had when he was abducted by Yondu. Right. And then, spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy, he ends up opening the present at the very end of the movie 
and it's volume, volume two. two. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Marvel expert. I'm a Marvel Mar- expert. Big, big Marvel guy. I appreciate it. We need somebody that's an expert in that on this podcast. Um, so great, meaningful gift. We can assume that maybe he was given the first volume as a gift if mom's following up yeah. with the second one right. as a gift. Um, and it's one of those sentimental gifts that at the time probably was just a normal birthday present. But as time went on and as she got sick and as she ended up passing away, uh, it meant that he always carried something of his mom with him, uh, both in the audio format and this physical like Walkman style. So I really like this. And it also kind of has that uh, wizard staff uh, power to it where it gives Peter this kind of like in the zone action hero dude whenever he's listening to it we open up in guardians of the galaxy of him listening to uh more than a feeling and he's freaking great and he's just kicking lizards and (laughs) and moonwalking across this this planet he's just in the zone getting a job done and he ends up being able to do that and then throughout the film we hear this awesome mix being thrown in either in the background or actively being put on and played as they are getting jobs done, tasks done. So it's kind of this like another gift that keeps on giving. He he gets and in, falls into this zone where maybe he's feeling like his mom's got him as he's listening to right. this. Right. Yep. Up against the Par family super suits. So uh I mean I don't really want to break all of this down, but Bob Parr is going on all of these secret adventures. He needs his suit fixed. He goes to Edna Mode. Edna Mode wants to make him a whole new suit. He's like, ah, you could just patch up my old one. She's like, nope. Uh, basically, <laughs> she wants him to ask him to make a new suit when really she just wants to give him a new suit. And so she does. And at the same time, she makes one for the entire family. Helen thinks that Bob's like cheating on her or something goes to find out what's going on with Edna and Edna reveals that she's made all these super suits for the kids and for her. Helen goes to get Bob. Kids find the suits. They all have these super suits now. So I, this is one of those that borders on a gift because it's so unceremonious in its nature. But I think that it is truly a gift. It's a gift from Edna and it's a gift for Edna. Edna has missed wanting to make superhero costumes. Supers have gone extinct. They've gone into hiding. She obviously has a talent for making these suits and has a nostalgia for it. She's able to track all of these reasons why capes don't work because she's created all these capes for all these other superheroes that did not end up well. And she's like, we're not doing capes anymore. So it lets her have this creative outlet. It also allows Bob to continue doing what he's doing, which is avoid a midlife crisis. And then eventually these suits come into big play in saving the family and allowing them to use their powers. Um, I just think it's so funny how she knew all of the different aspects that these kids were going to need. She even predicted that Jack-Jack, because he has no powers, that he might have all of them. (laughs) And so she just makes this like, close to indestructible suit. Dash can withstand friction. Violet's is a material that disappears with her. Helen's is a suit that can stretch into any shape, but still retain its original form. 
Uh, it's indestructible, but it can breathe. It's thoughtful. She's she's putting together these outfits that are going to allow these folks to live up to their true potential, potential and their true power. Uh, at the end of the day here, when it's the awesome mix versus the super suits, I I want all in my all in my heart to move on these super suits, but I'm going to move on the awesome mix because I'm going to move on what it really really means uh as a as a gift from someone who, you know, can carry a memory forever and I think songs hold a huge power over folks and to have that come from someone like your mother or a loved one is really powerful and and gives gives Peter the confidence he needs to be the hero that he is. So, I'm moving on the awesome mix. I want to do a potential stat correction. I don't think Please. it's hooked on a feeling in the credit sequence. I think oh, it's I think bum, 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 bum. Come and get your love. Yep. Also great. But I've made the same mistake as yeah. the thing because that song is in the like prison uh, when they uh, arrive at the prison, it's also like a good moment. Um, okay. Thank you for correcting. But I do confuse the two all the time. I don't know why. Thank I think it's because that song is not on the vinyl or um, on any of the playlists on Apple Music. And okay. so it always starts with... Hooked on a feeling? Yes. Got it. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you on advancing <laughs> the awesome mix, 100%. Uh, the super suits... I like what you said, though, about it being meaningful to Edna as well, because I never yeah. really registered that. I think it's important to talk about how Edna is Violet's mom. Okay, let's... That's a whole theory for a different show. Okay. <laughs> the, the theory is that how come Violet has black hair and Edna has black hair and Bob mm-hmm. has blonde hair and... Mm-hmm. What's her name? Mrs. Parr has red hair. I just, you know... Sure, throw it out there. You know, anyways, uh, yeah, awesome (laughs) mix. Uh, Melissa, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, as much as I wanted to choose super suits over the Walkman and Awesome mix, it's like what Kai was saying about the sentimental value of it with his mom and everything like that. That has to move on over the super suits. All right, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket then, where we've got the number two seed Pegasus versus number 15 Mulan's Lucky Cricket. Mulan is such a good movie. Mulan is such a good movie. It's definitely underrated. I don't ever give it the full attention that I should. I don't ever go back and rewatch it. I haven't seen it in probably a very long time. Watch it. Okay. I like watch it so much because my sister came out in like, what, 99? Yep. 98 uh and we got it on vhs and watched it a lot and i revisited it here and i was like dude this movie's so good it's good and it's so funny um there was there was a a gift that i wanted to see on this bracket that didn't quite make it when when mulan returns she offers her father the sword of shan yu the emperor's crest um, and he kind of like throws those to the side and hugs his daughter, which like that is... Th- that's the gift. That's right. Yep. She's the gift. Yep. To quote Tyrion Lannister, <laughs> I am the gift. <laughs> Gotta get in my Game of Thrones room. There it is. Um, but we're talking about the lucky cricket. So <laughs> Grandma Fa, who 
was invited to my Thanksgiving dinner in our Jerry's <laughs> gang episode. Uh, during the, um, uh, what's this song called? We'll bring, we'll bring honor, honor to, to us, us all. all. Song's called honor to us all. I think. Correct. Don't know. Okay. So like, there's a little like bridge in this song where they're like, here's some one flower and here's some one thing. And the grandma's like, and a cricket just for luck. Yeah. And even you can't screw things up or something like that. Even you can't blow it. Right. Right. Um, and, and before that we had seen grandma Fa wade into a busy intersection <laughs> with, the, with the cricket in with, hand. Yep. And her eyes closed. Uh, the cricket, does does impact the matchmaking process. Yeah. Not not in the way that it's intended though. It's not really a lucky cricket so much as a really unlucky cricket because he ends up taking a bath in the cup of tea <laughs> that the matchmaker drinks. Um and uh the matchmaker sees it and it ends up chaos ensues. So basically Mulan's put out on her butt, the cricket's put out on its butt. The cricket goes with Mulan on the big adventure. Yep. Off to war, off the battle, off to save the country. Um, and the cricket ends up being kind of a lucky cricket uh, throughout the movie. To, to Mulan, to Mushu at one point. Um, Mushu confuses a Fa's mustache with cricket legs or something like that at one no. point. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like in the snow and... He's like, lucky oh, cricket, yeah. and he yeah, pulls, yeah, up, pulls the up the ears, and it's like a it's, hun head, yeah. and he's like, <laughs> I think the cricket gets an assist on like the death blow when uh, Mushu t- gets launched in the rocket as like a dragon. Yep. Doesn't they play some part of the um, Mushu's pretending to be like the emperor or or the big oh, general? He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's the, the, must- crick- the cricket's the mustache. Yeah, the cricket's, right. the cricket's like it's moving like upside the down, head, and think. it's like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What you never seen a black and white before? <laughs> that is one of the best comedy moments in Disney history. It's, yeah, it's is real that good. is that scene? I guess the gift giving aspect feels a bit unceremonious, even though it's, totally. it's it, it <laughs> quite literally is ceremonious. <laughs> but like, it feels like there's not a whole lot of thought put into the specific like this is for you personally is more like this is just a luck symbol of luck yeah which is reasonable culturally for the world that this uh movie takes place in i suppose pegasus bro (laughs) we talked about pegasus in the best disney sidekick bracket yep we talked about baby pegasus specifically in the best disney baby bracket and i think both of them met an early exit um, where we were like, Pegasus is cool, but eh. Yeah. He's just kind of there. Maybe you guys can help me with like the end of Hercules, but I don't think he plays like a major part in saving the day at the end, does he? Doesn't he get Meg out of danger? Makes sense. Don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't revisit Hercules quite often. <laughs> sounds Sounds right. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he comes and swoops her up as okay. Herc is like losing his powers. So it's 
Hercules opens to baby Hercules' birthday. Happy the birthday. Day, the day of birth. Happy birthday, baby Herc. We <laughs> love you. Love you. And, and uh, the wife, Queen Hera? Hera. She's like, what's our gift, Zeusy baby, or whatever? And uh-huh. he's like, duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> clouds? Uh, here's a horse. Right. And that pisses me off so much. Like I understand that like mythology is is scripted. Yep. And and a lot of the way that like texts that depict ancient Greek and Roman stories is presented relies on the listener already knowing the backstory. Yeah. It's very much the case here. Yeah. Where they don't try to insert like here's why you specifically are receiving this specific mythical creature for you. Right. It's just kind of like, we already know this is how Pegasus was created and let's just get on with it already. Yep. And it just makes it feel like Zeus 100% forgot a present, right? Yeah. Which I I mean, listen, Zeus was kind of a f- boy. Like Zeus? In mythology. Yeah, so he, it's, he, he, yeah he was. It, yes. Like, by definition, and he would forget his own son's birthday gift. So that lines up. I don't want to. I don't want this to like reflect poorly on Pegasus. No, because like <laughs> Pegasus is like a treat. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, like gifts are transactional, and so like there's a. Sure. I feel like this is this is a Zeus problem here. Yeah. I I I can't in good faith advance Pegasus. When Zeus is is at half of this equation, up against Grandma Fa, who is half of the equation when it comes to the cricket, who is like a delight. Yeah, I'm going with the cricket in the fifteen two upset. Ooh, baby, baby, baby. Yeah, I mean the 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 gift wasn't very thoughtful, right? And I do like a thoughtful gift of Pegasus. Pegasus was not necessarily thoughtful. It's kind of off the top of his head. He's I'm, I'm gonna pick a. Cumulus cloud. I'm gonna pick a Nimbus cloud. I'm gonna pick the third type of cloud that I don't remember, and I'm gonna put together, and I'm gonna make a horse, and that's gonna be your horse, and it's gonna be your best friend, and that's just what you're gonna get. But the uh, the the role that Pegasus plays from then on out is pretty important. Oh well, yeah. Um, but it's not in an important way in which the tool is also providing some sort of comfort really just a service right it's this transportation system and friend all in one for her that, that never really comes back to like zeus never comes back to zeus and it's never like in a oh, way Pegasus. the cricket kind of feels like an extension of grandma yeah absolutely um and that's why i'm gonna agree with you in this upset here is that the lucky cricket is ironic for a reason grandma is saying that like your your path is chosen. You were meant to be something, so go out and get it. And I'm gonna give you this cricket that is lucky and will lead you the way and and always look out for you. When really it's here's this placebo confidence in yourself that she really kind of takes on reluctantly anyways, but is always looking out, always taking the cricket with her, um, to allow Mulan to kind of let go and and be like, I I can do this. I've got my cricket. I've got my ancestral dragon. We're going to go kick butt. And none of that is true, right? 
Mushu's not an ancestral dragon. He hasn't even gotten his little conscience badge on yet, right? <laughs> so it's all it's it's a great gift because it's like it's like the wizard staff almost in in its intention of like here's something you always remember me by. It's also magic, but it's also to show you that you don't need it. It's always been in in you. And it's coming from a, a person that you love very dearly. And I like that a lot. Upset cricket over Pegasus. Sorry, Pegasus. Dang. Marissa, what are your thoughts? Um, I like Lucky Cricket. Um, Hercules and Mulan, along with several others, were on repeat in my house. Yeah. Always VHS. <laughs> and I just think that, like, because I'm Chinese and Japanese, so... Mm-hmm. Just relating to Mulan growing up was just fantastic for me. And it was just such an Asian thing for your grandma to give you just something for whatever journey you're going on. Or it's just little something. Like having the lucky cricket to give to her as she goes to the matchmaker is just such like a traditional thing to do. And it's so fitting for this. As much as I love Pegasus, I just love lucky cricket as a gift itself. In sure. any other realm, I would probably pick Pegasus over Lucky Cricket, but for the gift specifically, I love Lucky Cricket for this. Yeah, tough draw for the two seed, which you don't really hear too often. So yeah, this this podcast hates Pegasus. It's just <laughs> that's just what it is, I guess. Oh man! All right, let's talk about this next matchup. It is the number seven Lucas train ticket versus the number ten Charlie's snow globe. Let's go ahead and just get out of the way. Head Charlie gets a snow globe from Bernard the Elf. And this is a device that is unceremoniously given, but given with a purpose. Bernard knows that the snow globe will bring peace to Charlie in some way. It allows him to keep touch in touch with his dad visually. Uh, whenever he misses him, he tells him that you can shake it and you'll always be with your dad and he shakes it and he can see Santa fly through it, which is really important for a kid. I think that's a great, you know, memento from your dad who you're about to never see really again. And does it work? No, because Charlie turns into an absolute little head in the second movie, right? So like, it's, it's a gift that really makes a ton of sense in the first film and then much like the rest of the series it doesn't make sense neither does the rest of the series so i really just focus on that first instance of the snow globe in which charlie gets it okay um as a kid love a good souvenir yeah charlie went to the north pole he brought back a snow globe he's about to go to show and tell the next day blow up his dad's spot and be like, no, it's true. Look, the snow globe's from it. I think that's cool. I like that. I was very much a souvenir kid when I was growing up. I, I mean, still am a souvenir kid. I mean, you can look around my <laughs> living room right now and you can tell that Kyle's still a souvenir kid. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> in here. And uh, so I like that aspect of it. But it's up against Luca's train ticket. And it's that's one of those like... It's one of those hitters, dude. That thing just hits. Luca and Alberto are saying goodbye to Julia as she heads off to school, boarding school, apparently, and is going to uh, go live her life. And Luca has wanted this. He's wanted to go see what it's like to learn like a human. He's always been curious. That's kind of his whole thing is he's curious, but with a, 
a shade of apprehensiveness. He's very afraid of most everything. And this would be a big leap for him. And he knows that he can't leave his family because his family doesn't let him do anything. So he's kind of come up with a, you know, Julia gave me her science books. I'm going to remember her in this way. Uh, They also became very good friends. So this is a a big moment. Uh, Alberto, the entire film, has been very jealous that Luca is spending so much time with Julia, that Alberto is no longer getting any attention, uh, which is all he seeks after we learn that like his dad left him, essentially, and he's just looking for a sense of belonging. Uh, Maybe he loves Luca. That could also be something. Would love if they would have just said it. But here we are. And so Alberto does the, the selfless thing and convinces Luca's family to let him go to school and then sells the Vespa to buy the train ticket. Incredible. That's all I got to say. I'm not even going to give anything else. I'm just going to tell you what it's about. You already know it. It's better than a snow globe. Luca's train ticket's moving on. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the line that brings Charlie into that scene. <laughs> Bernard's like... Look, you thirsty, you hungry, and Charlie goes, I'm thirsty and hungry too. <laughs> Charlie's the worst. I, I, I wasn't the I wasn't worst. I wasn't on that ship. <laughs> and now I'm like I can't I cannot think about it now. Uh, and then uh, the Bernard Be real careful with this. Very old, just like me. Um painful. Yeah. Santa Claus is a good movie, but that interaction is not. I hate good. how Charlie shakes the freaking snow globe like 30 seconds after Scott leaves. Right. He's like, listen, Charlie, you can shake this and I have to come back, but only in an emergency, okay? And he's like, okay, dad. And he's like, shake, shake, shake. He's been gone for 30 <laughs> seconds. And Scott's like, uh, bro. Yeah. Yep. What did I just say? Okay, fine. You want a hug? <laughs> um yeah no i'm with you on luca's train ticket i love luca the movie the character yep. all of it uh talk about it next time uh marissa do you agree i agree i just finished watching all three santa clauses and i was not on the i hate charlie gang until two days ago <laughs> Bro, spreading like wildfire i'm telling y'all i'm sp- i'm starting this i especially the second movie he was a little shit yeah. Like, yes. I'm sorry. No. And he's like, set, he's supposed to be in like seventh or eighth grade, junior high-ish. Yep. And he's already doing that. <laughs> Dog hates Charlie too. Yeah. See, it's spreading. It's spreading. TJ's on it. The gospel, baby. The gospel. All right. So let's move on to the next matchup then. It is number three, Booze Door versus number 14, the Banks family's Mended Kite. Yeah. Um, Sleeper. Okay. Can we just all agree on one thing? Maybe. Bert is a con artist, right? <laughs> Probably. He right? he's like one of those people that like I mean, I don't want to, you know, disrespect any the way anyone makes a living. Okay. But Sounds like you might. I you know, he just takes advantage of like the situation and yeah. uh He's always looking for a quick buck. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's he'll, windy out. He'll exploit the situations. Exploit situations. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Are these kites, are they legit? Did he find them at, down at the docks and like stole some kites, sell them on the street, launder some money? I don't know. He's a shifty dude. 
what it feels like. The bank's involved, obviously, because <laughs> right. the they're flying involved. kites too. Anyways, wait, let's backtrack. What are we talking <laughs> about here? So, so let's talk about this kite. Uh, this is the finale to Mary Poppins. The whole movie starts with the kids ran away from home because their kite took off and they went and they chased it down. Uh, and, and the constable finds them and brings them back home. And yep. mom and dad are pissed. Like, why'd you run off like that? And like, our, we f***ed our kite up. <laughs> and we were trying to catch it. And they were like, you were bad kids. You're not supposed to do that. And, and Mr. Banks is like, see this kite? F*** your kite. Yeah. Um, and um, then the movie happens. And Mr. Banks comes home after he quits uh, the Dawes, Tomes, Masley, Grubbs, Fidelity, Fiduciary Bank job <laughs> and, and comes home with the mended kite. Yeah. And they all sing, let's go fly a kite together. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the arc, yeah. the character arc of, of Mr. Banks. Put a bow on it. Put a tail on it. Put a tail on it. <laughs> Suffragette. Sash. Kite tails. Yeah. Tail on it. <laughs> This is a this is a meaningful gift uh, to be received by the children because it's an olive branch. They've just kind of undergone this traumatic moment where yep. they've seen their father being a part of this this bank that wants to steal little kids' money, basically, and they don't want them to have joy like feeding birds. And so they kind of have this, you know, idea that their father doesn't like them. They don't really like him. Uh huh. And uh, Mr. Banks realized there's more to life than money, more to life than work. And I want to spend time with my kids. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious quits, runs home. Mr. Dawes Sr. dies of laughter. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, meaningful to both parties. Also meaningful to Mary Poppins because it means her work is done. Yep. She, she is. She did what she came here to do. Uh, there's a. I. I. I often forget that the the umbrella, the handle of the umbrella, is like. Don't be jealous. Yeah. You're jealous right now. Don't be jealous. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, what? Like, what is the point of including that like weird, ambiguous aspect of Mary's relationship to the family? Yeah, I think it was just that she spent the entire movie pretending like she didn't care. She's very hard she yeah. was very tough nut to crack and you know she got soft for them and maybe in previous jobs she didn't she came did her job and left but she actually cared about this family good take and the take, yeah. umbrella handle is going to call her out on it every <laughs> single so, time dude. That's <laughs> a sassy umbrella handle yeah. uh booze door is the number three seed uh this is another really great gift a again a character that showed a little bit of disdain for the situation. Yep. Mike did not like the fact that they were running around with boo. They yep. were breaking the rules. They were on the cusp of maybe a promotion and yep. breaking they the scare record. They, they didn't want to, they didn't want, Mike didn't want to be messing around with this kid. No. And Sully was like, we need to do the right thing. This child is scared. Like you know, we have to, <laughs> We have to do whatever we can to to make make it right. Yeah, and so this ending scene where Mike has t 
taken all of the pieces of the splintered booze door and put them all back together for Sully to present to him as a gift. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's man. How long, how long did that, that we, that thing went through a shredder, a wood shred, a wood chipper. Dude, that door got turned into dust. Okay? <laughs> There's no way. The, the only reason it's possible is because Pixar's animation technology it was it wasn't good enough yeah, to break I, up doors into <laughs> small enough pieces at the time uh, also the fact that like it was in all of those pieces but the paint for most part stayed yep mostly mostly undamaged like my <laughs> biggest issue factually is that Mike has been spending probably like months on this. And yeah. how has Sully not noticed his hands looking so jacked up? <laughs> the entire time it took him until this He's moment. Like, eh, He's went through a lot of wood. Oh my it's like, gosh. Mm, yeah. You, haven't you been working together like every single day? You're Have right. you never been like, yo, what's going on with your hands, dude? Apparently not. They live together. When is Mike doing this? <laughs> I don't know. Staying late at the at the scare floor to Maybe he moved in with his girl. Oh yeah. Could have. Celia. Yeah. Or maybe, 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 uh, Sully got his own place because he's like the boss. Big now. guy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's in, maybe he's in corporate housing. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, this is really hard. This is really hard because not only do you have these good scenes, you have great music associated with both, both. of these. Uh, Marissa, you did the best Pixar score bracket with us and we talked about this like booze door music in the background yeah i i love that score i i just love scores in general but it's very it just ups ups the emotion big time and then you've got the song let's go fly a kite sherman brothers classic oh i don't know what to do i think i'm gonna have to go with i think i'm gonna have to go with booze door only because the kite feels more like a metaphor yep. for a, a mended relationship. Yep. And the door is a gift in itself. Yep. It reestablishes the connection between Boo and Sully yep. and Mike as well. Yep. Going with the door. Kids aren't going to care about the kite as much as Sully cares about this door. Right. And the door is quite literally a gift that keeps on giving because he's, it's not only just the, the memory of Boo in the form of a door but it's also a working door within this world in which he can go back and see her and what she does we see that um so i agree with you number three booze door is going to move on there marissa i have a feeling that you're going to agree with us yeah 100 percent. love booze door i flew kites a lot when i was little but nothing beats seeing and spending time with friends and family so well said well, well said. Better than what we've been saying here on this podcast. All right, let's talk about this last matchup. It's number six, Lady and Lady and the Tramp versus number 11, Herb Brooks's whistle from Miracle. Lady. Lady's the dog from Lady and the Tramp. She's the lady of the duo Lady and the Tramp. She's the Cocker Spaniel. She's Cocker Spaniel. Uh, Jim Darling. Jim Deer. Dar Jim, Jim Darling. Jane? Jim. 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 Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy! Battle the Jimmys right here. Um, Jim Deere and Darling. Possibly. Wendy or is that Darling. Peter Pan? 
<laughs> oh no! Oh no! Everybody, oh, I've gone off the I've gone off the hibiscus rum. Let me figure this out real quick. We do this every time we talk about this scene in particular. Just, it's just, yeah, Jim Deer, Jim Deer and Darling. Yeah, that's it. I'm out here, dude. I'm out here. All right. Jim Deer gives his wife Darling, as we know them in this film. <laughs> Uh, this dog lady and uh, lady becomes a very important part of the movie because she's the titular character of it and she is a companion to the family but the family also doesn't care about lady once the baby shows up and they are telling lady shut up get out of the room we have a baby to tend to now lady plays a big part in saving the baby from apparently a rat that is there to kill it which is a storyline that is oft forgotten but very true is that this rat breaks in and is hovering over the baby lady is had just gotten kicked out of the house because she was barking too much by the nanny that was like with her uh and so she starts barking to let tramp know that the rat is in the house to go kill the baby and tramp comes blistering through the door and into the house to go rescue the baby uh, I had to look up if this was a rational fear. If people were actually afraid that their babies could be killed by rats. Like, is this a, like a phenomenon? One rat, just one Just rat. one. Like, is it a phenomenon? Like, the back plague? in the day, at the turn of the century, as your baby slept in this crib in your uninsulated home that maybe wasn't built super well because we're in the late 1800s and early 1900s, did rats get in and feast on babies? So I looked up. No, they did not. Well, you know Pizza Rat. Of course. Everyone knows Pizza Rat. Yeah. Did you see Rat Rat? Oh, no. Yeah, it's like last week a video went viral of Ooh. a rat basically carrying the body of oh, another rat. Okay. Like down the steps and down like into the subway tracks so i'm thinking like is this rat just trying to haul off the baby like back to its rat lair rat nest i mean maybe um what i did find out from (laughs) victorpest.com which was a shout out victorpest.com not a sponsor they said yet they um they're pest control company it sounds like and i looked up that one of their FAQs was, will rats hurt babies? And it says, nope. Most rats do not outwardly attack humans. Young babies, bed-confined elders, and the homeless sleeping in doorways and alleys, however, are occasionally bitten by unprovoked rats. So every once in a while, a baby will get bitten. And most likely, these individuals fall asleep with food residue on their hands or faces and foraging rats attempt to lick or chew the food residues off the sleeping individual. Victor Pest, I do not believe you. Maybe maybe for the folks that sleep outside for the houseless, but not, not a baby in a house. That's nasty. So, Dude, that is nasty. So rational fear, irrational fear. I think the ju- jury's still out on that one. Up against... Herb Brooks's whistle. We have yet to talk about Miracle. And let me tell you, 
we bow to talk about miracle. Yeah, it's coming. Um, it's coming. so I'll I won't get too deep into it, but Herb Brooks was the USA hockey coach for the 1980 Olympic team that beat Soviet Russia and went on to win the silver. Right? No, maybe it was gold. I thought they won the gold medal. They won the gold, but the whole movie of Miracle is based around the, the one game, right. which is not a medal game. Yeah, which is incredible. That whatever. So. Um, Herb Brooks takes all of these little college kids, forms a team. He's a hard ass and he toughens them up and makes them, you know, this, this well-oiled machine, this team that bonds together by getting them to hate him. And he does that by forcing them to do these drills, these lines drills. And if you've ever played any sort of court sport or if you've played hockey or if you've played anything with lines on the ground. Maybe not in soccer, but maybe in soccer. Um, soccer, they can run forever. They, they don't can run care. Forever. You do these lines drills where you start at a baseline, you run, touch the first nearest line, run back, run to the second nearest line, come back, run to third nearest line, so on and so forth. He made this team do that a lot. And every time that he would want them to get started, he would blow a whistle and blow a whistle again, blows the whistle. And uh, the whistle was blown by his assistant, Craig. Right. He's a good cop. He's a good cop. So all in all on this bracket, I've misnamed who this whistle goes to because at Christmas, at a Christmas party, the team gifts Craig a small little toy kid whistle that he blows in the team all together. It's a gag joke. Everybody's laughing. It's a good gift. He blows it. The team goes again, blows it again. But the gift that Herb gets is a whip. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. So so the, we're focusing on the whistle because it's this gift from the team to the coach, the assistant coach, but really to Herb himself as well. That is kind of like a we get it sort of moment. And you're an asshole for it. And it's that that trust that they have in them. They were like not too sure about this guy. He was a really hard-handed coach. He was fairly abusive to his players. And when they came out on the other side and they learned to love each other, they were able to let loose and loosen up and feel like they formed this relationship with Herb that they can make fun of him. And I think that's a big point in anyone's relationship, whether it's romantic, friend, otherwise, it's if you can roast each other, that's a good place to be. And if a, if a gift can be a roast of a gift, I really like that. Lady's really sweet. But I'm going to go with the gag gift. On here. Ooh. Gag gifts yeah. are gifts too. I'm going number 11, the whistle and miracle. I, I, I yes, yes. Yeah. The, the miracle gifts seems to be more transactional. I keep saying that yes. word. Lady's cute. <laughs> Lady yeah. is very cute, though. Yeah, like you can't can't dispute that. Uh, I, I don't know that I love the depiction of like two seemingly like bougie people being like, "Oh, darling, he has a dog for Christmas." <laughs> like, oh, like pop out of the box. It's a cute doggy. Yeah. Eh. Doesn't it feel super meaningful for like you taking on the responsibility of an animal? Okay. Maybe back in the day that was like. I mean, 
up until yeah. very recently, that was kind of like get a dog, get a puppy on Christmas, put it in the box. You right, know? right, right, right. It is what it is. Um, I think people are a little bit more responsible. I think, at least some people, some more than before. <laughs> I, I the live action sequence of uh, the puppy, the puppy coming out that box is very, very cute. And I gotta say. It's accompanied by this this song. You want to hear about it? I would love to hear about it because it has been getting so much play in my house the really? last like two weeks. Not from me, from the person who also <laughs> occupies my home. Uh, do you have info on that? I do. It's like do. Bella Note. No. And, int, and then it transitions into basically a, a song that feels pseudo-religious like an algorithm Yes. Uh, I wrote, I, yes. I, 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 I created an AI bot. I created a bot that yeah. is going to write a non-Christmas holiday song. You're very close. Okay. You're very close. So I had learned this on a different podcast and then I went to look it up and it was true that this song is called Peace on Earth. It is a Christmas carol of a sounding song. Um, it's very somber in its tone. It's very, feels like a, a Christmas caroling group would be singing it. This song was basically ripped as a royalty free version of Silent Night. <laughs> okay. Because they hit all the buzzwords. They're like, <laughs> all the buzzwords. Sleep, There's... child, restful, yeah. peace, and calm. Yes. And it's, it, Oftentimes we'll veer into Silent Night, like you can hear it, and then it'll suddenly like hit a different note that's not Silent Night, and you're like, ah, you, we know what you want here. Um, so basically, they wanted a song that evoked the feeling of like Christmas that wasn't necessarily super forward non or super forward religious, and Silent Night kind of fits that bill, but. They couldn't get the rights to Silent Night, so they wrote their own, which just sounds like the royalty-free YouTube version mm. of Silent Night. I think the exact lyrics are, everything is calm yeah. and peaceful, everything is bright and joyful, or something. Right, and yes, like, and it's the same. What does that mean? In the same like tone. All is bright and joyful. All is calm and peaceful. <laughs> Everything is bright and joyful. <laughs> okay, Julia doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say I do not like that song. Yeah. Do not like it. That's fine. I'm going with Lady, though. Okay. I'm going with Lady. I'm, I, I I like the transactional element of the miracle thing, but it just, it's a moment that's there and it's gone. Okay. And Lady is, uh, Lady is iconic. Yeah. Lady is transcendent. So, Marissa, you're breaking the final tie here in round one. Um, I'm bringing up another thing that I said earlier in the bracket. I do not like Lady and the Tramp at all. <laughs> Even though I love dog, I love dogs. Obviously, I have a dog here. Um, yeah. I just hate. I rewatched it. I want to say during pandemic. So like right, like during start of pandemic, I watched Lady and the Tramp both the animated and the new version that they had, the live action. And I still didn't like either of them. I tried. Wow. I gave it my best. Wow. I just hate how Lady was treated and put outside. I yeah. just, I can't get over that. And ever since then, I was like, no, 
I can't yeah. with this movie. I just hate how you're not. There are some dogs that are like they like outside, and sure. clearly, Lady she did not. not like being outside. And I understand <laughs> like you have a new baby in your life. That's it's, but you made the responsibility of having a baby, but also you were gifting a dog to come into this family. You need to blend all that together. Make it work. Don't kick a dog outside because you have a baby and all this stuff. It just made me upset. But I also like Miracle, too. So I'm moving Miracle on. <laughs> all right. The gag give lives to see another day on this bracket, which brings us to the end of this round of 16 and into an Elite 8 that looks a little something like this. The number one, Buzz Lightyear. Verse, the number nine, Cinderella's dress. Down the bracket, it is the number is the number 13, Ian Lightfoot's wizard staff. Verse, the number five, Peter Quill's Walkman slash awesome mix. Across the bracket, it is the number 15, Mulan's lucky cricket. Verse, the number seven, Lucas train ticket. And rounding out our Elite Eight next time will be number three, Booze Door. Verse, number 11, Hub. Hub. Herb Brooks Whistle. Marissa, thank you so much for lending your talents to the podcast yet again to discuss some gifts. We know now what you definitely don't like, and that is Sleeping Beauty and Lady and the Tramp. And we'll make sure that you are you do are not having to be on the best, I don't know, Lady and the Tramp animal bracket. <laughs> yeah. I mean I love animals, but when you're when you're messing with dogs and putting them outside, that's not it. It ain't it ain't it. All right, everyone. Well, we've reached the end of another episode, and you know how to reach us. If you have something to say about these best uh, on-screen Disney gifts, did we miss one? We would love to hear from you. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All of those are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, please head to patreon.com slash Gang with a G. We'd love uh, your support there at the $5 level. Till next week, folks. So long, stink brains.